There we go. I apologize about that. I had some problems with the live feed. I think we got it back on. I hope that all of you can find me. I'll be waiting on you just for a second. I apologize if you got kicked off. I, I didn't mean to do that. Sometimes Facebook confuses me. I'm old. Uh, I'll be 51 soon, and so technology gets on my nerves. I'm just teasing a little bit, but uh, I apologize. Some of you were on and got kicked off, and uh, please forgive me for that. Just trying to get some of the Facebook stuff worked out. So I'll give everybody a second to get back on, join me. And uh, while you're waiting to start, you can go ahead and grab your Bible. We won't be there immediately, but we will be getting there. This is, after all, a Bible study. And so you can find 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I apologize to the 10 or so of you who were watching me a second ago and the video messed up. And uh, so we're back on rolling and uh, we'll be just fine. Give everybody a chance to get on here. I cannot believe this is the end of October already. And it uh, seems like just yesterday we were celebrating Labor Day. And before you know it, we'll be trick-or-treating. And uh, so excited about the, the fall weather a little bit. It's not been so fall, but it has been a little bit cool. And we appreciate that. Hello to everybody saying hi to me. Miss Tammy, Michelle, thank you all so much. Good to see you all. Miss Kelly. Glad all of y'all are watching, and uh, I hope that you will not just turn it on and set it aside and do other things. I know that temptation. I have been guilty of it, and uh, one of the things you want to do is actually learn something from the Word of God, and we're going to be doing that, all right? Uh, good question, Miss Michelle. Liberty is not doing a trunk or treat as a church-wide function. We are not doing that this year. We are doing something else. I'm going to tell you about that here in just a second the week after Halloween, but we will not be doing trunk or treat at the church. Um, just with a lot of things going on with the Corona and some other stuff, uh, trying to follow the lead of some things, but you know, we are Liberty and we kind of try to follow the Lord's leading too. So we do have some things planned. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. Hey, Karen, how you doing? Glad you're watching. Glad everybody's here. Hey, Miss Nan, I apologize if you were on the uh, first one first live video that lasted about 30 seconds and uh, then we lost it and uh, so we're back on rolling good and I hope that you will continue to uh, stay with me for a little bit grab your Bible turn to first John we'll be in the first chapter first John chapter one that's not st. John it's first second third John right at the back of your Bible go to the maps turn left in your Bible past Revelation Jude third John second John first John start chapter five go all the way back to chapter one hey Miss Shannon and hey, hey, and uh, Addie, hope y'all are watching, and I'm glad everybody's doing good. So let me give you some announcements about things that are coming up, and in relation to the trunk or treat a little bit, and uh, just give you a rundown of the coming weeks. Of course, this coming Sunday is the last Sunday of the month, October the 25th, so we always have our starting point class is the last Sunday of the month. Now, if you live in our area, and you go to Liberty, and you are not a member this class is for you, all right? You're not making a commitment by taking the class. It meets during the 9.30 service. So you can come to that and you can stay for the 11 o'clock service. But when you're in there, you'll talk to Pastor James and possibly Pastor Barry. It'll be your opportunity. Hey, Josh. It'll be your opportunity to ask any questions that you might have about the way liberty is structured, um, how, we, how we do things, how, how our leadership team works, how the church finances work, what we can, what you would expect from us as a church if you become a member, what we would expect from you. And uh, all we really want from you is your social security number, your credit card number, 
and um, and your date of birth. And that's really all we need from you, and we'll move forward from there. I'm teasing just a little bit. Please don't let that get out that that's what Liberty is looking for. But uh, you can go to that class. You can find out the next steps that you need to take. Um, because of insurance regulations and the background checks and the society in which we live in, if you want to serve at Liberty, you got to be a member of Liberty. you got to kind of identify yourself with us. And if you're not willing to take that step, we respect that. You're always welcome just to come. But if you want to get involved, serve, be a part of what's going on, and I'm just here to tell you, I've been to a lot of churches. I've worked for several churches. And what God is doing at Liberty is just an incredible thing. Hey, Miss Vanessa, good to see you. It's an incredible thing, and I am so excited to be part of it. And sometimes, you know, I, not everything goes to my preference and things, but man, when you see God doing something, you just set all of those other things aside and just focus on the good that God is accomplishing. And if you're not part of it and you go to live, you need to be part of it because God didn't call you just to sit and to soak all up the preaching and the teaching. He called you to serve and true Christianity will always lead you to a life of service. If it does not lead you to a life of service, I'm sorry, I don't care what you say, it's not true Christianity because Christ came to give his life for others and he commands us to do the same thing. Lay down our lives for others, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And so the starting point class, though, is a way for you to get the information that you're just not going to get in a service. And uh, so if you sign up for that class, you can go to experienceliberty.org, you can click on that class, sign up for it, Pastor James will be in touch with you. Come in. He'll tell you about liberty. You can ask questions. Pastor Barry will tell you about liberty. Probably have some donuts or something there. And uh, you can find out the next steps that you want to take. There is no pressure, all right? After the class is over, he'll tell you if you're interested. He'll give you a church covenant. You can talk about those things, all right? And then November the 1st, which is not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, is the first Sunday of the month. That's always our baptism Sunday. Now, let me just be candid with you. I'm not, not fussing at you, all right? But if you're saved and you've never been baptized, you have not taken the very first step of obedience. And uh, you need to make that public declaration before the Lord. And we try to make it as seamless as possible. You can sign up for that at experienceliberty.org. Pastor James will reach out to you, get it all set up, take you in there in between services, put you under the water, make it public. God will bless you for obeying. Because obedience is always the proof uh, of, of our life. And then we've got some things coming up that I'm just going to touch on because Pastor Matt will give us more details about it, and I will in the Sunday service. But let me just let you know what's going on. November the 7th, November the 7th, hey, Miss Mindy, November the 7th is our fall festival. We're not having a trunk or treat, but we're all going to have a fall festival. My fall festival, I mean, we're going to have some blow-ups here, some inflatables. Uh, we're going to have some things that Pastor Brad's working on that I can't tell you about, but they're super exciting for the kids. And it'll just be a good time together. You can practice as much social distancing as you're comfortable with, but it'll be free to the community. We don't charge for anything. And the kids can come and play, and uh, we'll have popcorn and cotton candy and some drinks and things like that, and we'll have a good time of fellowship. That's going to start at 2 o'clock on November the 7th. Pastor Brad will be giving you more information in Kids World, LC Kids. Got to stop calling it Kids World. LC Kids will be giving you that, and uh, he'll be... Uh, talking about that, and I'll be talking about it some in church. And uh, if you're interested in volunteering on that day, we need helpers to do certain things, help us with the popcorn, just stand guard over the inflatables, make sure that no kids are killing each other, that kind of thing, helping little kids in and out. And we'll have inflatables that are geared toward big kids and inflatables that are geared toward little kids. So whatever age you have, go ahead and bring them on. I hope we're trying to work on having some horses and some things like that. So 
plan to come to the fall festival on November the 7th. I cannot believe it is already almost November. Christmas will be here before you know it. We'll be in the new year. Speaking of the new year, November the 8th, which is that Sunday, following Sunday, after our morning services at 9, 30, and 11, that evening, November the 8th, Pastor Matt's going to be telling you all about it. I'm just going to give you just a little teaser, all right? Just a little teaser. That evening, we are going to have a night of worship and a vision Sunday. What does that mean, Brother Dusty? Well, it means we're going to come together for a little while, 20, 25 minutes, and just worship God as a church on a Sunday night. That's right. And then afterwards, Pastor Matt and all of the staff are going to talk about the vision that we have for the coming year. So if you want to know what God has put on Pastor Matt's heart and on the leadership's heart for the next year, you got to come. And if you've been fussing because we don't have Sunday night services and I don't see you, I don't want to hear it. I'm teasing a little bit, all right? But come worship with us. Come fellowship. We'll have a good time. Our coffee will be on. Might have some snacks out, and we'll just come in that evening. Got to talk to Pastor Matt, get that time confirmed. It'll probably 6 or 7 o'clock we'll come in. We'll have a good time. The praise team will be there, Brother Zach, and all of them will be singing. And uh, we'll have a good time of worship, and everybody's hearts will be right. And then we'll talk about the business of the church a little bit. It's not a business meeting. Ain't no hostility. Nobody's going to be arguing and fighting. We're just going to be talking about where God wants liberty to go in 2021. We did not anticipate what 2020 brought us. But God has been faithful through it all. I wish I could give you more detail right now about how good God has been in 2020 to Liberty Church in spite of the coronavirus, in spite of it. And if he was that good during a pandemic, what will he do for us next year? We are super pumped about those things. And I hope that you will plan to be here on the evening of November the 8th. I expect to see you in the morning. 9, 30, and 11, because it's Sunday, and this is God's house, and you need to be here. But that evening, November the 8th, the night of worship, Pastor Matt will be telling you a whole lot more about that. He'll be giving you more detail. I just want you to be pumped and excited about it. It'll be a casual night. Don't dress up. Just come on in, and let's have a good time of fellowship. This is a family time for liberty, all right? It's a family time. So plan on being at our night of worship and on Vision Sunday. Pastor Matt will tell you more about that. Fall Festival, November the 7th at 2 o'clock. Baptism on November the 1st if you need to follow the Lord and Believer's Baptism. And this coming Sunday, October the 25th, starting point class starts. All right? So look forward to those things. All right, speaking of family and fellowship, find your place in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. Now, we have been talking about this now for three weeks. There are only five chapters in John. All right? If you have read 1 John, since we have started it, give me a thumbs up. I want to see something coming across the screen that you've been reading it, all right? So you need to be invested in this and reading the Bible. You'll get so much more out of it if you read the Word of God. But First John, the theme of First John, as we discussed last week, is fellowship, all right? Fellowship. It is partnering with deity to accomplish purposes. It's fellowship this way which leads to fellowship this way. And remember what we said last time, there is no real fellowship this way unless there's first fellowship this way. This is the only basis of real Bible fellowship. 
And four times in the first seven verses, John uses the word fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. It's kind of a Christian ease kind of word. People don't usually, hey, let's go down to the store or to the restaurant and fellowship together. If you hear people saying that, you know they're probably Christians. But we understand what it means, all right? It's the fellowship, the sense of unity and communion that we have together when we're all united in the same purpose. It's kind of like, do you know how you feel sometimes when the praise team is singing and God's presence is just in the room? Some of y'all are spectators, but some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I looked, I glanced over, I wish I had a camera, but it probably been a bad time to take a picture. But I looked over Sunday during one song, I don't remember what it was, and there were so many hands raised that I could see of people worshiping and praising God. Just felt such a sense of fellowship. And then I got to go over people's house that go to church or go to a life group and just sit down with God's people and just the sweetness of communion. And that's just a foretaste of what we're going to have when we get to heaven because there will be no flesh, no, no jealousy, no humanity involved. It'll just be us, glorified bodies, no sin nature. It'll be that sweet thing. So if you don't like what goes on at church, you will not be comfortable in heaven because it's all about fellowship, fellowship. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, I'm going to read them for you, but they're an introduction to this theme of, of fellowship. So I'm going to read it and make some comments. If you got your Bible, you can follow along with me. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy might be full. And so John tells us in these first few verses about this fellowship. He says, look, there is fellowship, and it stems from the eternal life, in verse 2, that was from the beginning, which we heard, which we saw, which we handled, with our hands and looked upon with our eyes, it was that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. You know what that tells me right off the bat? That eternal life is not a thing. Eternal life is a person. And it's not a, a quantitative expression. It is a qualitative expression that Jesus Christ comes to give us abundant life and it is found in the person of himself. And so 1 John chapter 1 through 4 tells us how to have fellowship with God the Father and with one another. It's through Jesus Christ, the eternal life. And if I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, I can't help but have fellowship with him and with one another. That's the way it works, all right? And so 1 John reminds us that our fellowship is based upon objective facts. See, I mentioned about the feeling in church and I noticed someone said they had chills, and I, I get that. I did too. And but but those feelings are not the basis of the fellowship. They are the result of the fellowship. The basis of the fellowship is the eternal life that we share in Jesus Christ. It's this fellowship 
produced in this fellowship, which creates the chills. But the fellowship is based upon objective fact. And see what John is trying to establish in verse 1 and 2 is that Jesus is real. He said, look, this eternal life I saw with my eyes. I handled it with my hands. I spoke to it. I did all of these things. We saw it. We heard him, heard him, saw with our eyes, looked upon, handled with our because he is a real thing. And of course, Jesus would never be real to you if he's not real himself. And that's not a really deep statement. It's just an honest fact. You've got to believe that he exists, and it's the fact of eternal life that is the foundation of our fellowship. And then John just builds upon those facts. He's not sentimental at all. Notice what he says. He said, walk in the light if you want to have fellowship. Because if you don't walk in the light, you're a liar. Does that give you chills? Does that make you feel warm and fuzzy? No, it's just objective fact. But if that fact is right, then the chills come from that. Then the emotion comes from that. It's built upon those things. And so what is the meaning of this fellowship, though? Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare unto you that she also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So here's what, here's what he's telling us. The fellowship with us means among us or along with us. In other words, the disciples are over here having fellowship with Jesus, all right? Of course, he's on earth initially, and then he's in heaven, but the fellowship has not changed. It's no greater then, it was no greater then than it is now. Fellowship, in fact, it's greater now because it's by faith and not by sight. This fellowship, he said, we're having it. And we want you to come in here with us and join us in this fellowship, all right? To have fellowship along with us. In other words, he says, I want you, people of Liberty Church, to have the same fellowship with Jesus that I, John the Apostle, have with Jesus. Now, do you believe that's possible? Do you believe that you can have the same fellowship with Jesus that John the Apostle had with Jesus? Yes, you can, because Jesus is the eternal life, which is the basis for all fellowship, and you have just as much of that as you want. Absolutely, I can have that fellowship. And he tells us that if we have fellowship, if we're all having fellowship with Jesus, and you come in among us, we can't help but have fellowship with one another. And the reason why some people cannot enjoy fellowship with other Christians is because they're not in fellowship with the Father. That's why, all right? Don't tell me you're going to stay home and have fellowship with God if you don't want fellowship with Christians. It does not work that way. Fellowship with the Father always leads to fellowship with other Christians. And when somebody breaks off fellowship with other Christians and goes off and doesn't associate with them anymore, the reason is because they cease to have fellowship with the Father. It's impossible to have fellowship with God and not fellowship with other Christians. And I'm not saying they won't get on your nerves. I'm not saying they're not humans. I'm not saying that they don't. Have, you won't have to deal with their humanity just like they have to deal with your humanity. But the truth of the matter is, is that these things work hand in hand. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with other Christians. And then what does it lead to? Verse 4. This fellowship leads to your life being full of joy. Yeah, full joy by leading others into this fellowship. This fellowship gives me joy, and because I have joy, I want you to have joy. And so John is saying, hey, we found this eternal life. We found it. We've tasted it. We've touched it. We've handled it. We've heard it. It's real. It fills our lives with joy. Come, fellowship with us. Fellowship as we fellowship. We'll all fellowship together. And the whole attitude of all running is just full of overwhelming joy. Joy unspeakable is what Peter said, and full of glory. 
Now, let me tell you something. The reason why some of your lives are so bitter and hateful is because you're not having fellowship with the Father. Because fellowship with the Father produces fellowship with other people, and it fills your life with joy to bring others into fellowship. And so when you come into church all sour and ill, it's not your spouse's fault. It's not your children's fault. It's your fault for breaking fellowship with the Father because even when you're having the worst day possible, you can still have fellowship with Him. It is not circumstantial. It is not based upon situations in your life. It is based upon the eternal fact of the person of Jesus Christ who is eternal, abundant life. And anytime I choose to live in it, I can have overwhelming joy even when I'm faced with difficult circumstances. And so come to church, come to work, and fellowship with the Father, and let Him give you this kind of joy, all right? I feel like I need to give an invitation. <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching, and I'm just supposed to be teaching. But I get passionate about it because I understand that the secret to the Christian life is fellowship with the Father based upon the eternal life of Christ, not the thing, the person, and that fellowship is the source of everything else. In fact, if you read John chapter 17, I think it's verse 3 or 4, it says, This is life eternal. What's eternal life? Let's listen. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life, knowing God, fellowship with God. That's eternal life. It's not living forever. Everybody lives forever. It's where you live forever that makes the difference. But the abundant life is overflowing on all sides all the time, and that comes from fellowship with the Father and fellowship with one another. I'm here to tell you, and when you are clicking in fellowship with the Father and you run into another Christian who's having fellowship with the Father, there is no fellowship like that fellowship of the triangle of both y'all fellowship with one another is your fellowship with the Father. It's an incredible thing. And one day, heaven will produce that in an uninterrupted fashion. And I cannot wait for that. In fact, I get emotional just thinking about it right now. All right, but I can't stay on that all night or we'll be in First John for 17 weeks, right? So there are four key expressions in these first four or five verses that I want to point out. The first I've already dealt with, fellowship. Partnership with deity to bring others into the fellowship that our joy might be full. Because when I find something that helps me, I want you to get in on it. Because if there's something about my Christianity that makes it exclusive and hides me away from people, it's not real. It's not real. Because real fellowship with the Father makes me want to embrace all of humanity and hope that God brings all of them into that fellowship. That's the true choice of it. But then there's another phrase. Notice it with me in the very first verse. That which was from the beginning. From the beginning. What does he mean by from the beginning? Does he mean the beginning beginning? As in, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and was God? Does he mean the beginning as in, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth? Those are two different things. John 1.1 1, 1 is the beginning beginning. In the beginning was the word. Before the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. Or does he mean the beginning of Jesus' ministry? This is the beginning of miracles that Jesus performed. John chapter 2. I'm just going to give it to you. It doesn't matter. Here's what he's saying when he says that which was from the beginning. He just means he is making a reference to the past. In other words, this gospel that I'm talking about, this eternal life which we heard, saw, touched, fellowshiped with, 
that was from the beginning has always been around. It's that gospel. So, but I say, how far back does it go? Well, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and see the initial vision of it and understand that it was even before that because that's at the beginning. But if you flip all the way to the back, da, 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 da. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So Revelation 13, 8 predates Genesis 3, 15. And so we see these things together that this gospel has been around all along. Even in the Old Testament, it's seed form Christianity. It's not fully developed, but there it is. And so what he's reminding us of is that what John's talking about, it's not new. It's not new. Because normally if it's new, it's not true. Just remember that. If it's new, it's probably not true. Because the gospel has been around since the beginning. And John just says, hey, it's that old gospel that's always been around. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus Christ is that eternal life. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Seek the old paths, and ye shall find rest for your soul. Now, let me stop for a second, because I want to talk about that just for a minute. I grew up an independent fundamental Baptist. I have been to camp meetings. I have been to revival services. I have walked the sawdust trail. I have done all of those things. All right? I know all about that. And I always hear reference to people talking about old-time religion. And really what they mean by old-time religion is old-time preferences that I grew up with that I've been accustomed to being around. That's what they're talking about, things my granddaddy did. Because if you want to talk about old-time religion, how far old do you want to go back? Because really old-time religion is wearing robes sitting around in a cave somewhere, like Jesus and his disciples in the early days of Christendom, not having a place to worship, no air conditioner, no pew. That's old-time old religion. Or you can go through the medieval ages and look at some of those with the Scottish covenanters who met out in the woods and they sang the Psalms, not songs, Psalms from the Bible without music because they didn't believe in music. That's their old-time religion. And so when people fuss at me, we need to sing more hymns. That's old-time religion. We need to do this. That's not old-time religion. That's just old to you. That's just what you've been accustomed to. That's just your preference. And I get it. We all have preferences, all right? But if you back up far enough, your old-time religion is really the previous generation's compromise. Because 100 years ago, somebody was crossing their arms saying, I don't believe in these newfangled pianos people are bringing in. And if you don't believe that's true, it is true. I don't believe in these barroom sounds, this, this new music, this barroom song. And the song they're referring to was What a Friend We Have in Jesus, by the way. You should do the study sometime. Look it up. All right. What, what were they saying? That's their preference. That's not what he's talking about when he says old-time religion. All right. It's not just the southern way of having church. That's our preference. And hey, more power to you. Have church like that. Ain't nothing wrong with it. But just don't think that that's the only way to have it or if that's really old-time religion because that type of southern-based religion, southern gospel music, can't mean stuff. It's only been around 100, 150 years or so, all right? I want to call it middle-age religion. Give me some middle-age religion. Say that to somebody. They won't know what you're talking about. When John says in the beginning, that was just from the beginning, he's going back way further back than old-time religion. He's going all the way back to the gospel that was present in the heart of God when Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's how far he's going back. Yeah, you know the old hymn? And I love old hymns. 
I do. My wife and I have contests sometimes. She grew up in a very secular home. We'll go down the road on the radio and I'll hit scan and different songs will come up. And without fail, she can name the songs, sing, sing some of the lyrics because she's a heathen and, uh, and whatever the song, she knows it, right? But then we get a hymn book. You can flip open to almost anywhere in the hymn book and I know that song or at least I'm vaguely familiar with it. It's a rare hymn that I have never heard. Uh, but one of the ones I used to love was this, the hymn that says, I love to tell the story, t'will be my theme in glory, to hear the old, old story of Jesus and his love. The last verse goes, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest, and when in scenes of glory we sing the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story. That I have loved so long. And the truth is, is that the story of Christ loving humanity and giving himself for it has been around since before time began. And when it all burns down around us and there's nothing but the ash heap of what this world used to be, it'll still be the old, old story that we'll be singing about in the new song, in the new Jerusalem. It'll still be the old story. That's what John is talking about when he says, that which was from the beginning. Go back. Go back to your granddaddy and then keep on going back. Go on back, 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 back. And when you get to the place where there's nothing but God and Jesus, then you're at the beginning. And at the beginning, God purposed in his heart to redeem mankind, knowing our failure and our sin. And he started the process of the whole thing when he said, let there be light. And there was light. That's what John's talking about. And so I would just remind you that while methods change, truth does not change. Truth does not change. Now, we have trouble sometimes with methods changing. We get stuck in our old age. We don't like it done that way and those kinds of things. And I get all of that. But the truth should never change. And so don't always look for some sensational new thing. That's not what changes a life. That's not what brings me into fellowship. What brings me into fellowship is that which was from the beginning the old story of Jesus Christ being the eternal life for me. And uh, there's a temptation as a preacher sometimes to try to make things new and relevant and current. And we ought to be on top of our game in regards to that. We ought to be creative. Sometimes we get lazy. But even though I can be creative and I can be current and relative, I should never, ever just seek to be sensational for the sake of being sensational. I should seek to preach that which was from the beginning because that's what changes lives. It's changed lives for a thousand years, a thousand millennium, and it'll keep on changing lives as long as God leaves us here. It has that kind of power. Now, the other phrase that he talks about, first, first will be in fellowship, secondly, from the beginning. The third phrase is that eternal life. And I touched on this already. But I, I, I want you to just grasp what he's saying, right? He's given us the idea that eternal life is not just perpetual existence. It's not just living forever. I taught at a Christian school today, and I asked them, I said, what's eternal life? And somebody said, oh, it's living forever. But let me ask you this. How long do people in hell live? Forever. How long do people in heaven live? Forever then eternal life is not living forever. It's not just perpetual existence. Besides, how attractive is that? 
to live like this forever. I mean, I'm 50 years old. I don't want to live like this forever. I don't want to be five foot five forever. I want a glorified body. That's what I'm looking forward to. All right. But God reminds us that that eternal life is the person of Jesus Christ in a qualitative sense, not a quantitative. And he wants us to stop living for time and start living for eternity. That's what fellowship with God does. It takes us out of thinking in the paradigm of just time and leads us into thinking about eternity. So people say, how do you know where I'm thinking about time versus eternity? It shows in your values. It shows where you invest your time, your efforts, your money, your talent, how you spend your life. These things reveal whether or not we're living for time or living for eternity. And so eternal life is not something, it is someone. And if you have the Son, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 tells us, you have the life, the eternal life, because they are one and the same together. That eternal life. All right? Now, i got to hurry up a little bit. How many more pages of notes do I have? And I know I'm losing some of y'all already under conviction. That's what it is. Or that I'm born. One of the two. I'm going to go with conviction. All right. Notice the fourth phrase I want you to get is found in verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. All right? I just want to touch on something just for a little bit is that we're often told that the Bible teaches that God is love, but it never says that God is holy. Well, it does right here because it says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the Greek rendering there is not one little speck of darkness at all. God is light. And anytime that you use the word is in reference to God as in God is love or God is light, you can take the is out and put equal sign. God equals light. God equals love because it is an element of his essence. All right? So can Dusty have love? Yes. Can Dusty say he is love? No. Love is not part of my essence. I can have it. But it has to come from another source. It's God loving through me. It is not part of me. But God can say that he is love and he is light because it is part of his essential character. And that's the difference. And I want you to, to get this. The Bible says that in him is no darkness at all. God is light. He is not twilight. That's what someone said. Don't allow your belief in things in the Bible to go gray. There are lots of things that are not black and white in the Bible, and I get that. There are some gray areas. But I've noticed as I approach my late middle years, moving into my last two decades or so, if God is gracious to me, that there is a tendency to move from areas that are black and white into kind of gray areas because they're just easier. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all old people, do you know what I'm talking about? Or some of you young people, there's that tendency. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Be careful not to allow your belief to slide into the gray. Keep it in the light. Keep it in the light. And so... So I have a three-year-old son. What is the first thing I should teach him? God is love? I, I, I have to be careful. 
I have to be careful. Carl, I hope I get three or four more decades. Well, maybe not. I'd probably like at 90. And I'll be cantankerous at 90. I, I, all kinds of incontinence problems. I'll be a shy. I, I don't know about all that. Thank you for the sentiment, though. All right. But um, what, what should I teach Porter? Should I teach him God is love? Should that be the first thing? I don't think so. I think I should teach him God is light, God is love. Because the two have to go hand in hand because God's love is always in terms of his holiness. We don't like that. We like God is love. But he says God is light first. Chapter 1. He didn't get to God is love until I think it is in chapter, let's see, 2. Nope. It is 3. Wow. I should have this marked. Right? Yeah. 4, 8. He says it twice in 1 John. But he doesn't get to that until he has already expressed over and over that God is light and you should be walking in the light. So he tells us. So God is light, God is love. Those two things have to go hand in hand together by necessity. God only loves in terms of his holiness. Don't just say God is love. Say God is light. God is love. In him is no darkness at all. Sometimes if we say God is love, it disintegrates into God loving people in their darkness. And while he does love them in their darkness, he is not content to leave them in their darkness. And that's sometimes what we mean when we say God is love, that he just embraces us without demanding change of us. The only reason God's love reaches into the darkness is to bring us to the light. And so God is light is just as important as God is love. It is his essence, and there is not one speck of darkness in him at all. Don't let your life go to the gray. Keep it in the light. Walk in the light, not the twilight. All right. Now, finally tonight, I, I want to give you some proofs that you're walking in the light. And I only have time to deal with one of them. All right. There's three of them. I'll give them to you real quick. And we'll talk about the first one. All right. Three proofs that you're walking in the light from 1 John. We'll deal with more of them later. The first is having the right attitude towards sin. The second is obedient life. The third the third is rejection of false doctrine. Let's talk about the first one, the right attitude towards sin. I want you to notice chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 10. He mentions the same phrase. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right? And what he's dealing with is not, I, I used to read it and think, well, who would ever say, I don't have any sin? I'm, I've reached sinless perfection. Who would say that? Only an idiot would say that, but that's not what he's dealing with. He's not dealing with this attitude of saying that we are sinless per se. That's not what he's dealing with. He's dealing with this Gnostic idea that sin doesn't exist. You know, you didn't sin. You didn't sin. You're having a psychological re reaction to the fact that your parents raised you in this oppressive environment, and that's just your natural human response because there is no such thing as sin. That's what he's dealing with. The ideas that come from Christian science and some other Eastern religions that eliminate the fact that there's any sin whatsoever. John is touching on that and dealing with the denial of sin in its existence. He said, if we have sin, if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. When you came to church, and Pastor Matt called you flat out from the pulpit, a liar. A liar. That's why I love the Word of God. 
That's why I know man didn't write it, because man would never call himself a liar, but God can do so. And he says, if you minimize your sin, it's because you are a liar. Do not minimize your sin. So he gives us the remedy, the opposite of saying we have no sin. And it's found in verse 9, a verse all of us should be able to quote, say it with me, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Learn that verse as a little child, have needed it every single day. What is the opposite of saying we have no sin? It is confessing our sin. How can I confess my sin the right way and have the right attitude towards sin? I want to give you some things, all right, as we close up tonight. The first is that true confession is not sin-centered. It is Christ-centered. See, most of the time, sometimes when I'm focused on just how heinous and awful my sin was. I think about it. I confess it. I am just beat down because it's so wicked. You know what I'm talking about? All right, that's being sin-focused. Because when I confess something to Jesus, it's lifted and forgiven. Christ-centered focus gives me relief from the oppression of sin. Let me read this verse to you because I want you to get this because it's powerful. I'm going to read the verse incorrectly. I'm reading out of the King James Bible. All right. If we confess our sins, God is kind and loving to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that what it says? No. No, no. No. It says he is faithful and just. Who's he faithful to? He's faithful to Jesus, who paid the sin debt on the cross. He's just to Jesus who paid the sin debt on the cross, they entered into a contractual agreement that Jesus would pay the sin debt and God would grant forgiveness based on the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. So when I confess my sin, God does not forgive me on sentimental grounds. He forgives me on legal ground. He cannot not forgive me because of what Jesus did. All right? Now, no human wants to abuse that if you're really a child of God because you want to walk in the light. And if you don't, you're a liar. All right? But if you do walk in the light, you have fellowship with God the Father. Sin breaks that fellowship. You want that fellowship restored. You're quick to confess it. And God has to forgive it based upon the legal contractual agreement that he made with Jesus. Who is Jesus? Himself. God in the flesh. So God agreed with God. Neither one of them can lie that if one fulfilled the payment necessary for our salvation, the other would grant forgiveness in justice and faithfulness if we would confess. And so it's not my confession that makes it happen. It's his justice and faithfulness to Jesus that makes it happen. And I stand on firm legal ground. I'm glad God loves me, but that's not the basis of my forgiveness. I'm glad he is my father, but that is not the basis of my forgiveness. It's not. It's not sentimental. It's not affectionate. It's legal. He forgives me on legal ground. Yeah, it's a powerful thing to think about. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, As you have received Christ, so walk in him. What's he telling us? He's telling us the way you got in is the way you keep going. How did you get in? I just got in looking unto Jesus. Well, that's how you keep going. Keep looking unto Jesus. Oh, Brother Dusty, I've sinned. Don't look at your sin. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He died to pay for that sin. God is faithful and just. He has to forgive that sin. He's not asking you to even say you're sorry for it. That's implied in the confession. 
You don't have to say, I'm sorry. Just tell him what you are. He knows it anyway, and his justice and righteousness takes over. You got in by looking unto Jesus. You keep going by looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Carries us forward. Now, notice that he says in the continuing chapter 2, verse 1, and you know the chapter divisions were just inserted so we can find our place. The scripture flows right on through us. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sins, see, he, he's already made, made provision for the fact that he knows apart from Christ we cannot maintain sinlessness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He said, little children, see the tenderness, the family fellowship. We've been talking about the whole time, this family, little children. Let me talk to you, all right? Don't sin. Don't sin. That's always the goal, don't sin. Don't excuse it, don't sin. But if you do sin, confess it. If you confess it, he always forgives you, not on the basis of your confession, but on the basis of the fact that he's faithful and just to himself, the God who cannot lie to forgive you. And when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. So what does that term advocate mean? Well, Four times in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 14 through 16, this word in the Greek is used for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help me, my lawyer. Four times it's used for the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. But here he uses the same word in reference to Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is my advocate in my heart. He's the one who brings me to that place of confession. Because naturally, I don't want to confess my sin. I want to hide my sin. But that fellowship won't let me hide it. <laughs> it won't let me hide it. It won't. And because of having the paraclete within brings me to the place of confession, the paraclete in my heart lines me up with the paraclete with the Father. I have an advocate. I have a lawyer who comes alongside to plead my cause. Now notice it. It doesn't say that when we confess our sins, we have an advocate for the Father. So it says, it says, if any man sin, you have an advocate with the Father. In other words, the provision is made already. It's not when we confess, it's when we sin that Jesus steps up to plead. Now the advocate within us, the Holy Spirit, leads us on into that spirit of confession so that fellowship is restored. But fellowship is always in terms of the eternal life provided for us through the death of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross in the completion of our sin payment. And our lawyer pleads for us. Now, if you go to court and you hire a lawyer or you hire the unfortunate person to have one appointed for you who's trying to fulfill his pro bono work and does not usually care that much about your situation, he is going to plead your merits to the judge, good or bad. That's what he's going to do. But see, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't stand before God the Father as my advocate before my lawyer pleading my merits. What worthless defense is that? He stands before God the Father pleading his merits on my behalf. That's what he's doing. He stands before the Father pleading his righteousness, not Dusty's righteousness. And if I sin, my confidence in restored fellowship is the fact that I have an 
advocate in heaven who aligns himself with the advocate within me. And he stands before the Father and he pleads his merits for my sake. As the old song says, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. And let not that ransom sinner die. And so you will look at my life, if you haven't already, and you will find error and failure and shortcoming. I am a human. I am proud, arrogant, walking around with Napoleon syndrome, little arrogant, short punk sometimes at church. I know I get like that. Sassy, rude, sarcastic. I can be all of those things. I can be. But understand, you're just looking at the me. But God looks past the me, and he sees the Jesus who died for me. And he sees the perfection that God has on me through the righteousness of Christ, and he never deals with Dusty Bracket except in terms of the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness for me. That's why I have fellowship with the Father. And if you know what I'm talking about, I have fellowship with you together in the family of God. This was based on that that confidence that he is faithful and just. And I got in looking to him, and I'm going to keep going looking to him. And the only hope any of us have is the fact that we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he stands before the Father, and he pleads for us. And because of that, we are declared righteous with God. Wicked sinners, but righteous with God. And because I'm righteous with God, I can have fellowship, fellowship with the creator of the universe. Me and deity united in the common purpose of bringing people in to this fellowship. And when you get in this fellowship, man, our joy is full. And if you know what I'm talking about, your heart is agreeing with mine right now as our spirits bear witness that we have fellowship with the Father. And you know how I know I have it? Because when I walk out of here, something inside of me wants to walk in the light as he is in the light. You know what I'm talking about. And if you do, <laughs> come join me in the fellowship. All right? Next time we have fellowship together will be 9.30 on Sunday morning and 11 o'clock. We'll have sweet, sweet fellowship. And the saddest part about all of it is it's just an hour it's just an hour. There's coming a day when we will have fellowship around the throne. And it'll never, ever end for all eternity. Fellowship with God around the eternal life. Not the object, the person, Jesus Christ. And his righteousness that makes it all possible. All right? Thank you for walking with me through 1 John chapter 1. There's more to come. I'm excited about the things I'm learning, and I hope you're learning from it. And if this video was a blessing to you, thank the Lord for showing us the truth. Share it with somebody. Click that little share button. Tell them about it. You can get it on YouTube through Rooted or through the Facebook page, however you want. 
And uh, may God speak to your heart. Love you guys. I cannot tell you how much I love you. You are my family because of the fellowship that we enjoy. And I can't wait until we are all together around the throne one day. Have a good night.